I'm blessed to be here tonight. And I'm blessed to know that God is in control. I was thinking, <clears throat> I was thinking today, what would, what would happen if, if our nation would become as concerned about the disease that takes us to hell as they are about a disease that might make us sick and we might even die from. I don't expect that to ever happen. But as Christians at least, we should be concerned about that awful disease that has entered into this world and is killing, destroying many millions and millions of souls. <clears throat> but there is a, an antivirus, there's a vaccine for that disease. God has provided us with a way out, with a way to be clean and whole and holy. And I'm so thankful for that tonight. I'm so thankful that God has allowed us to do that. And tonight, <clears throat> my prayer is that God could take away from us any spirit of distraction and that we could turn our faces toward him and see what he has to tell us tonight. And I also, my prayer tonight is that he would take away the, fear, the, the spirit of fear. If there's any spirit of fear, that he would be able to come and give us that peace. He is the prince of peace. He wants peace for us, peace that passeth all understanding, and that no virus, no epidemic, no tragedy, no, nothing can destroy. And that's my prayer tonight. And I think we will go ahead and sing the song. We're not very many here tonight. We didn't sing it this morning because I didn't think that we should maybe take the time and tonight, it would seem that maybe we shouldn't sing it because we're not very many here. But I still think that we should sing it. I think, it, I think we should be reminded of who we are and of our purpose here on earth is not to stay here. We're just moving through. We're strangers and pilgrims. <clears throat> so I invite you to to just, maybe we should stand just to give us a little bit more of a, um, a little bit more courage there to, to sing out. Uh, strangers and pilgrims, that's all we are. No soul, we're only strangers and pilgrims on our way. Home in this dark foreign land filled with sin, fear, and pain, we will travel toward home, sowing seeds of good grain, 
Seeds of kindness and grace, seeds of mercy and truth, gladly sharing the news of the Savior's new birth. We're only strangers and pilgrims on our way home. We will call to the lost, we will welcome them in, we will bid them to turn from their blindness and sin, we will stand on the rock, not on frail shifting sand, and on Jesus the King build house that will stand. We're only strangers and pilgrims on our way home. The harvest has come, time to gather the grain. Those who have been redeemed, washed and free from now we're waiting to go where we'll never more roam. No more strangers and pilgrims, for we will be home. We're only strangers and pilgrims on our way home. You may be seated. And so tonight we had planned for children's class, children's story tonight. And uh, I wasn't sure what to do about that either. But I, would, I decided to go ahead. There's children, a few children here tonight. I'm just going to... I'm not going to ask you even to come forward here, but I would like for you to, to participate. And I'm going to just invite all the children from all the way up to, how old are you? All of the children in between and up to can participate tonight as well. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a story tonight a story that Jesus told when he was here. And that story was called a parable. A parable was what Jesus often used to teach the people, teach his disciples. And it was a story that he used to teach an important message that he wanted to get across to those that were listening. This story is about the prodigal son. Do you know what prodigal means? I'll let the children answer first if they have an answer. What does prodigal mean? Well, let's go to the older children. Anybody have an answer to that? 
okay. You know, I, I wasn't so sure about what it meant either. And I had to look it up. You know, we use it all the time. The, the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, yes, that, there's an element of that. A person who leaves home and behaves in a reckless way. Um, there's also the idea that somebody who spends money recklessly, uh, carelessly, but later repents and comes back home. And I don't know if that's the total meaning of that word, but that was uh, what I discovered. So the story is this. Once upon a time, a man had two sons. This father had an older son who worked very hard and was very obedient and respectful of his father. This man also had a, a younger son, and this younger son was quite different. He seemed to be a lazy boy, didn't like to work. It seems he wasn't always the kind to obey his father and respect his father. He wasn't like his older son. He got tired of working on the farm for his father and with his older brother. And he got fed up with everything. One day, the younger son said to his father, Father, I want you to give me my inheritance. Do you know what an inheritance is? From your father, exactly. Um, property or, or money or things that your father has that's passed on to his sons. And here, this young man said to his father, please give me, well, I don't think he even said please, did he? Give me my inheritance. Hmm. Usually, inheritance is passed on when the parents die. And here the young man was asking his father, who was still living, I want my inheritance. I don't think that was very respectful or kind. I think that was wrong. And I can just imagine his father must have felt very sad. But his father went ahead and gave his son his inheritance. His share of the possessions. And now the son was a rich boy. He had a lot of money, a lot of possessions. What was he going to do with so much money? So much, so many possessions. Now he wouldn't have to work anymore. Wow. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? 
being young, not having to work anymore. So he decided he would go on a long trip and that he would spend that money. Now that he had so much money, he was going to have a good time. You know what? That was not a good decision. That was a bad decision. That was a wrong decision. It wasn't what his father wanted him to do. He was going against what his father wanted him to do. It was a bad decision. It was a foolish decision as well. It was not thought through. It was not thinking of what this would lead him to. But the Bible says, Jesus said he went to a far away country. He went for a long, far away place and he was having a good time. He was living it up. He made friends there and he must have gone to parties and just having so much fun. He had so much money and he was having such a good time, he thought. But you know, he wasted his money. What happens when we waste our money? What? It goes away, exactly. And soon, he didn't have anything anymore. He ended up with nothing. He wasted his money, spent it on himself and his friends. He was living a bad life and doing things that he should not have been doing. And one day, lo and behold, he had no more money. And since he didn't have a job, you know, he wasn't working. He didn't have to work. But now there was no money, and he didn't have a job. And this was a bad situation. And then, you know, his friends began to leave him. They weren't real friends. When things got tough, they left. And he was left alone. And to make matters worse, in that land there was a famine. Do you know what a famine is? Pardon me? Okay, a long time without water where there's no food. You can't grow food anymore. Often caused by droughts. And so, wow, that's kind of a bad situation. So now there wasn't enough food. His money was gone. He didn't have a job. And there wasn't enough food. Now that was, he was in trouble. That poor young man was in real trouble. So what do you do when you don't have money, you don't have a job, you don't have food, you don't have a place to live? Well, he had to do something so that he wouldn't starve. So he looked for a job. There, there weren't many jobs. I suppose maybe the, the um, employment level was, unemployment was pretty high maybe. I don't know. 
But he didn't find a good job. Finally, he found a job where he could feed some pigs for a farmer. Now, that sounds... Would you like to do that? Is that a job you would like? Maybe in a, as a last resort. It wouldn't be my first pick. And now as he fed the pigs, he fed the pigs a kind of fruit, uh, perhaps, I think it was maybe from a cherub tree. It seems that he may not, he wanted to eat, but he was feeding the pigs. He was so hungry. And he was in such great need that he would have been satisfied to eat what he was feeding the pigs. I'm not sure if he ate that or if he would have just liked to eat that or maybe he wasn't even allowed to eat what he was feeding the pigs. I'm not sure about that. In any case, it was a sad, sad situation. In fact, the pigs were doing better than he was. And he was very sad about all of this. And one day he said, what in the world am I doing here? How did I get here? All at once he woke up. And he began to think about home. And he thought of his father. He thought of his brother. He thought of his family. And then he thought of his father's servants, his hired uh, servants that did the work on the farm. And you know what? It suddenly dawned on him that the, his father's servants were living a much better life than what he was living. Suddenly he began to understand that what he had done was very, very foolish and unwise and wrong. And he said, look here, I am going home. I have sinned. I have done wrong. And I'm going home to my father. Remember, he had left his father and thought he had the world by the tail. Here he sticks his tail between his legs and says, I'm going to go back. It took a lot of humility to do that, but it was a very, very wise decision. It was a right choice that he was making now. I have done wrong. How could have I been so blind? And I'm just going to tell my father how wrong I've been. And that I'm so sorry, and I want to just come home, and I'm not worthy to be your son, Father. I've been so wrong. Just let me be your hired servant. I'll work for you. That would be an honor for me, to work for you. I'm not worthy to be treated like a son. And you know what? He got up, he packed his bags. Well, maybe he didn't have any bags left. I don't know. But he got up and headed toward home. And it was a long ways. 
I don't know how far. He went on that long journey toward home. That road was long. And I imagine as he was trotting along, he was thinking, what is dad going to think when I come home? What is he going to do with me? I have been very bad. Will he let me work for him? Will he accept me? I don't deserve being his son. Now, I don't know how many days it took for him to travel home. I don't know if he had food to eat along the way. I'm sure there were no McDonald's along the way. And probably he wouldn't have had money anyway to buy food. Finally, he got closer and closer to home. And all at once, off in the distance, he sees someone on the road. Just a little speck down the road, but he kept watching that speck. Who would be on the road? And then it looked like it was coming toward him. Who would be coming toward him? And then he saw his father running toward him. It was his father coming to meet him. And when his father came to meet his son, he grabbed him, he hugged him, and he kissed him. He was so happy to see his son come home. Overjoyed. And the young man began to tell his father, Father, I have been so wrong. I have sinned. I am so sorry. And he began to explain what he had prepared to tell his father. And his father interrupted him and said, No, 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 wait. His father was so overjoyed by his son coming home he didn't even let him finish what he was going to say. He said, don't think of it. You are my son. You were lost and now you're found. Welcome home, son. We are so happy that you are back home. And we are going to celebrate. And they had a big feast that night. His father didn't let him be a servant. His father didn't let him be a hired hand there. His father restored him as a son into the family. That was a joyous occasion. That was a happy occasion. It was all because this young son finally came to his senses and acknowledged that he had been wrong, that he had made the wrong decision. He was bad. And he was going to tell his father, he told his father, but his father, he had a wonderful father. A father who forgave him. A father who received him again after, you know, this boy was pretty bad and had disrespected his father in a terrible way. 
Yet, his father received him home. You know, that story shows us how God is. That story shows us the love of God, our Father. And we have been bad as well. And God is waiting for us to come home to be his son again, be restored. He wants us to be with him. So, with that story, we're going to move into the evening message. But I'd like to pray first. Lord God, thank you for being a father who is waiting for your lost, your prodigal sons to come home. We thank you for your love. Tonight, Lord, we want to look closer at the scriptures and understand our, our position with you. We want to understand, Lord, what you have uh, done for us. And I just pray, O oh God, that you would open our hearts to hear what your Spirit says. And you would help us to understand what the Spirit is saying tonight. Thank you, Father, for each one here, and thank you for each one that is listening tonight. May you just come to each heart and bless and minister in a very special way tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 15 tonight. And look uh, at more detail at what Jesus is teaching us here when he spoke this parable. The, the title of the message tonight is a bit of a, a negative, a bit of a dismal title, and I, I feel a little bit bad with, with this message tonight. I don't want to leave this message with a note of despair or, or desperation, but I want us to know, I want us to understand where mankind stands with God. And so the, name, the, the title of the message tonight is, and I, I want to continue with a series of messages on Luke 15 on the prodigal son. Tonight we want to look at the aspect of sin and how that separates us from God. The son, the result of sin. Sin separates us from God. So what were, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus actually ministers a number of parables. He uses three different parables, and he taught these parables. He gave these parables in response to the Pharisees and the scribes that were murmuring. They were complaining, and they were criticizing Christ for eating and uh, receiving sinners. And so this was Jesus' answer to them. 
First, he talks about the lost sheep. And, and in all of these, he's talking about something that's lost in these parables. And so in the lost sheep, and we're not going to go into detail there. I just want to briefly um, think about this um, for a minute. The lost sheep was lost. Why was he lost? Maybe through carelessness. Maybe through stubbornness. But in some way or other, and for some reason or other, he had become separated from the flock. And he was lost. And he found himself alone. He found himself far from the shepherd and far from the flock. And you know, I don't know how many of you have worked with sheep, but sheep are not very smart, not very intelligent. And he couldn't find his way home. He didn't know how to get home. He was lost. And we can maybe assume that this sheep knew that it was lost, or at least that something wasn't right. He wasn't in the right place. He was out of place. He was where he shouldn't be. And the sheep was at least partly responsible for him being lost, but the sheep did not have the proper resources and didn't know how to get back. The shepherd had to go find him. The sheep didn't know how to get back. He was lost. Maybe he knew he was lost. Maybe it was his fault that he was lost. But he didn't know how to get back. He needed help to get back. And then Jesus talks about a lost coin. Now the lost coin certainly didn't have anything to do with him, with the coin becoming lost. So probably it was through the carelessness of someone else that the coin was lost. And yes, he also became separated from his owner. He was no longer with his owner. But the coin neither knew that he was lost, and he didn't care that he was lost, and he certainly didn't have a remedy for his lost condition. The coin was very helpless. Nevertheless, the coin was lost. And Jesus used this story as well to try to teach the Pharisees something very important. And then, thirdly, he uses this parable of the lost son. Now, this lost son found himself separated from his father. He was lost in the sense that it was because of his own stubbornness and his own rebellion that he became lost, that he was separated from his father. He had a hard and rebellious heart. He was independent and he was proud. Give me my inheritance. He separated himself. He fully knew what he was doing, maybe not the consequences of what he was doing, but he made a conscious decision, I'm going to leave my father.
there came a time when he also realized that he was lost. The Bible says he came to himself. Came, I'm not sure how the King James says here. He, like he came to, he came like he was unconscious up until now, and all at once he came to. Suddenly understanding, oh, where am I? What did I do? So he came to a time that he knew he was lost, but in contrast to the other two stories that Jesus used, this young man knew the way back home. He had come this path to where he was, and he knew that the way home was turning around 180 degrees and going the other direction. But to do that, the man also had to have a 180-degree turn in his own heart, a repentance, a true repentance in his heart. It involved a conscious heart decision. And before we go further into it, there's a fourth aspect in this series of teaching that Jesus gave. In this story, we find another element that I find important and somewhat fascinating. There was another son in the story. And in some aspects, maybe he was not any more not lost than his younger brother. Perhaps Jesus used the other son to especially point out to the Pharisees who they were. The religious ones who did the right things and had a proud and rebellious heart underneath their shroud of religion. So when Jesus answered with these parables and these stories, he may have been trying to cover the spectrum of all those that were listening. So he used the parable of the lost sheep, he used the parable of the lost coin, and he used the parable of the lost son, and including the older son. So maybe he was trying to speak to all of those that were there murmuring at him or listening to him and covering the whole spectrum of those that were there. I don't know for sure. But his association with sinners, that was what he was accused of, did not line up with their idea of correct protocol in society. Furthermore, in their religious way of thinking, that would be contamination. They did not want to get themselves contaminated with the sinners. And Jesus was seemingly not concerned about that. And they did not like that. So they criticized Christ. Now, as we look at that crowd that was listening to him, obviously those Gentiles and sinners 
there were lost. And many of those probably knew it. Some of them probably didn't. But those that were strongly accusing Jesus of, of associating with these, with these sinners, maybe they didn't know that they were in the same boat. And just as lost as those sinners and Gentiles that they were so afraid of. They were lost, but they didn't know it. And they didn't have any clue to know what to do about it as well, nor did they have any interest in doing anything about it. Because they didn't think they were lost. They didn't know that they were lost. So, that as a backdrop to Luke chapter 15. Now I'd like to just look closer at this parable of the lost son. Now we had the story, so I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but I'm going to have us think what took place here. The son's decision. Now we have here two sons. And as I was indicating, I think Jesus was trying to really point out this. This man had two sons. He says, there was a man that had two sons. This parable begins in verse 11. A certain man had two sons. Now why did he talk, why did he say that he had two sons? I don't know for sure what all the reasons were, but it seems as though Jesus is making a point of that. Probably, maybe wanting to portray the two groups of people that were listening to him. Now the younger is the one he focuses on first, and the one he focuses on the most. The lost son that rebelled against his father. The younger said to his father, he says, the younger said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Give my inheritance. He demands his inheritance. And this seems really brazen. And I'm not sure that I understand the culture during that time. But it certainly seems brazen to us to ask for an inheritance while the parent is still living. It seems strange that he would make a demand like that. And it seems strange that the father would concede to that demand. It seems to be more than just a request. It seems to be a demand, doesn't it? And the Jews had their way of dividing their inheritance. So this, the people that he was talking to knew that this was probably something quite unusual, how this man demanded, his, this boy demanded an inheritance from his, his father. Now, there could have been, there may have been a possibility this was something that could be done if the heir was leaving home 
and he could ask for his part. And the father, or the father that wanted to retire, sometimes was known to give his inheritance before his death. But for a man, a, a son, to come and demand this was not, not, uh, not good in good taste. It seems he was lacking in respect and honor toward his father for him to do this. This was the younger son. And it was demanded upon his own initiative. He was the one that came and demanded it. And so what do we see in this young man's heart? First of all, disrespect. It seems very, very blatant disrespect. But there was a heart of rebellion. There was an independent heart. I want what belongs to me. I have a right. Please give me what is mine. Independence, selfishness, proud, rebellious. And so this young son, he receives what was his. He separates himself, it says, and he goes into a far country. Maybe this is significant. Maybe it isn't. But it seems as though his intent was in putting distance between him and his father. Putting distance between him and the authority in his life. Maybe thinking that the farther he got away from his father, his authority figure, life would be easier. Life would be more uh, durable, more doable. He was serious about independentizing. He was serious about getting on his own. Maybe he didn't want to be reminded of the restrictions that his father was, would put on him. Maybe he didn't want, maybe he wanted to get far away from that authority that he was supposed to be living under and uh, get away from what was hindering him from going forward. But he succeeded in putting distance between himself and his authority. Certainly did. But the results were not what he expected. He had sought for freedom. He walked into a trap. He walked into the trap of the devil. And he was no more free than before. He had only given the keys of his life to someone else. And now the devil, Satan had the keys to his life, and he was in total bondage. He wasn't even able to control his spending and his activities. They controlled him. This is the condition of this son who decided to take matters into his own hand, rebel against his father, and take his own path. Away from home, away from dad, away from authority, away from restrictions. Freedom, he thought. What a devastating mistake. What a horrible lie. And I'd like to go back 
think again of how this all started back in the Garden of Eden. What is this thing about sin? Adam and Eve were created to have perfect harmony and communion with God. Perfect communion. Total communion. God breathed into them the breath of life. They were made to communicate in fellowship with their Creator. And they were given everything they could possibly need. Interesting your comments this morning, Rich, about that uh, scenario. They, the, the garden was perfect. There was nothing they needed. And they were dependent totally on God's goodness and on his provision for them. They had no need of anything. And they had, how many commandments did Adam and Eve have? Do you know? One. one. Only one. They didn't have ten commandments as Moses gave later, and they didn't have hundreds like the Jews had later. They had one commandment. That would be pretty easy. How many commandments, how many, how many rules do you have at your house? Do you know? <laughs> Probably a thousand. <laughs> All right. And they had only one. Wouldn't that be neat? Just have one rule. Yeah. That would seem pretty neat. But you know what? The ignoring of that one commandment carried with it unimaginable consequences. When they ignored one commandment, disobeyed one commandment, the only commandment they had. In fact, that disobedience brought death. That one sin brought death on them and on the rest of us as well. I believe that death, that was, that was a, a, kind of an all-encompassing death. I look at it as a threefold death. At that moment, death came on Adam and Eve it came upon their physical bodies. Now, they did not drop dead. God had said, if they sin, they will die. And they sinned, and they didn't drop over dead. But their physical bodies began to die. In that moment, I believe they began to get older. You know, the, the process of life, uh, we're born and conceived and born and, and grow. And then we get to a certain point. What is it, 25? We begin to die. So our body makes, replaces its cells and makes more cells up to a certain age, to a certain time. And then, then it can't keep up anymore. And we began to get old. Old age is just a process of dying. And we get gray hair, and for some it falls out, and, and our, some teeth fall, sometimes our teeth fall out, and, and, and we have aches and pains and get older and older, and, 
closer and closer to the death of our bodies. That's the natural process that, that was a result of Adam and Eve sinning, disobeying. Their physical bodies began to die. I believe at the moment that they sinned. It wasn't, it wasn't visible at that point. Their bodies were made now to grow old. I mean, the, the bodies were made not to grow old, and now they began to grow old. And there was another aspect of death there, the spiritual part, the part that connected them with God. That flow and communion with the Creator that they were experiencing, talking with God, communing with God, just enjoying God's presence. But you know, after they sinned, what did they do? They hid. They didn't want to see God anymore. They were afraid of God. That, had been, that, that beautiful relationship had been destroyed. And they were separated now from God, which is what death is all about. Separation. Separation. They were separated from God. They were separated from their creator spiritually. And the third aspect of death or separation is the eternal aspect. There Adam and Eve were doomed and destined to an eternal death. An eternal separation from God. Now, God did not explain all of this to Adam and Eve. As we understand it, he, he only told them that they will die if they sin, and that's all they, he needed to tell them. It was enough that he tells them what he expects of them, and simple obedience and trust and dependence is all that he asked of them. Yet... They did not obey. And you know, this is where Satan attacked them. So God was asking them for simple obedience. Just believing that what he said was true. Obedience, don't eat of that tree. And believing that if I eat of that tree, I will die. And what did Satan say? Yea, hath God said that you're going to die if you eat of that tree? Or if you eat of any of the trees? He began kind of a broad uh, question there. So his, his first attack was on their respect for authority, or the, the right for their authority to, to, to tell them what to do. Hath God said that? Did he really say that? As though getting them to begin to question, well, does God have a right to tell me what to do? You know, up to this point, they had no problem with that. They lived in obedience, in perfect obedience. They had no problem until someone suggested to them, maybe somebody's taking advantage of you. Maybe, did you ever think of it? That, 
you don't have to obey. Maybe, maybe he's taking some advantage of you. Maybe he's hiding some from, from something from you that you don't know. It was only natural for them to submit and obey to the Creator. They had that kind of relationship, that kind of love. There was no problem whatsoever. But Satan planted that doubt, that, um, yes, that doubt in their mind. And what he had said was not even, Satan, what, he, what Satan said was not even true. It was an exaggerated uh, version of the commandment that God had given them because he said, did God say that you're not supposed to eat of any of these trees? Well, God had never said that. In fact, he said you can eat all of the trees except one. And immediately he put doubt in their mind of maybe God is not being just with us. Maybe he's not being fair with us. God is limiting you to what you can do. Did you ever think of that? Of course God had given them limits. But it wasn't where Satan was putting it. But now, unfortunately, Eve was in dialogue with the enemy. That's not a good place to be. She didn't know it was the enemy, and that was uh, probably a... Now, that was unfortunate she didn't know it was the enemy, but she could have known. The kind of questions that he was bringing were not in tune with, with the Creator. And so, as she was in dialogue with the enemy, it went on, the veil was slowly brought over her eyes, she could no longer see clearly... When Satan said, you shall not surely die, she was beginning to believe, beginning to doubt God, and began to believe what this serpent was telling her. This was an outright lie, but now he had her attention. And of course, that doubt and, and uh, uncertainty went deeper and deeper in her. Here was someone telling her, not just suggesting that what she had assumed was true was a lie. And that voice was telling her that she had been in, misinformed, that God had tricked them. Wow. <laughs> what a blasphemy. Horrible. But that's the way Satan is. He's the father of lies. He's the one who feeds us with lies and makes us believe that lies are truth. So disgusting. Satan here was using God. And he was using a little bit of truth, mixing it in to turn someone against God. He's still doing that today. He does it all the time. That's so disgusting. And although this was the first time he had done this to man, I mean, I wonder if he didn't use that same influence in heaven when he rebelled against God and influenced all those angels that went with him. We don't know how that all happened. 
But this certainly was not the last time that he did this to man. He's been doing it ever since. He's doing it today. And so at this point, Eve doubted, disbelieved what God had said, and believed what Satan said. This is what sin is. Believing Satan, doubting God, disbelieving God. Disbelieving God is disobeying God. It's the same thing. Disbelieving God results in disobedience, in sin. And they ate. No, they didn't fall over dead immediately. But the word of God went into effect immediately. At that point, they were separated. Death. Death is separation. Death is a wall of separation between us. Physical death is a separation from the spirit from the body. Spiritual death is a separation from our spirit with the spirit of God. Eternal death is a separation of our being from God for all eternity. So their bodies began to grow old. Death entered into the world. And they moved from a position of being a part of God's kingdom into being a part of the devil's kingdom. I'm so, so thrilled with God at that very moment that that happened, already had a plan in mind for the redemption of mankind. What a wonderful God. So they found themselves in such a terrible position. Yes, their eyes were open like Satan had said they would be. But it was open to something they had never imagined. They were open to the re reality of their lost and separated condition from God. So that condition was passed on to all of us, as it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Verse 14, it says, Now death reigns from Adam to us. That is what we have been born with. That's what we have received. Judgment is on all men. Condemnation is on all men. Verse 18. It says, One man's disobedience. By that disobedience, we were all made sinners. Verse 19. Sin reigned unto death, verse 21. And then in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. That which I would want to do, I, I can't, I don't have the power. That what I don't want to do, that's what I do. That's the frustration of a sinful life. Living under the Influence of the enemy. The condition of the lost soul, the one who has decided to become independent. The one who has said, give me my inheritance. 
Oh, wretched man that I am, what am I doing? I can't even do what I want to do. I can't do what I need to do. I don't have the power. So tonight, like I said, I don't like to leave it here. And I, I, I want to give us, um, leave it on a brighter picture. But this is, this is a, a sad picture. It's a sad picture to see that young man leaving home thinking that he has the world by the tail. He has it made. He's going to live it up. What a sad picture. He is so deceived. He is so, so wrong. He is so blinded. You know, in some way, in one way or another, we have all had characteristics of this younger son. We've all had the characteristics of a sinner. And that's been passed on to us. And in one way or another, we have displayed those independent, rebellious signs of our sinful nature and we've been separated from God we've been distanced from God some of us maybe much more and longer than others have but there's no one that doesn't need to come to the point of saying I have sinned I am a sinner I will go back to my father and God gives us that opportunity God gives us the opportunity of recognizing our need and coming back to him. So tonight I believe it's important that we, to, for us to understand salvation, for us to understand God's grace and his plan for us, we need to understand this part of, of the scenario. We need to understand our lost condition without God. We need to understand that without a recognition of our rebellion and our, our sin, we cannot be reconciled to God. For us to understand redemption, we need to understand something about sin. And it's awful... Um, consequences, it's awful, the awful meaning of sin is just simply rebelling against God, not taking God at his word, not believing God, not obeying God. Give me my inheritance. I will go into a far country. We need to understand and recognize our need before God. Sin separates. Sin brings death. Sin brings death to a relationship. So tonight, what can we say? This is a, a dark picture, isn't it? And like I said, I don't want to leave that dark picture. And maybe there is someone here tonight 
that has wandered away from God or is far away from God and is feeling that call and desire to go back home. There's a road back home. There is good news. And we want to look at that good news more in detail later on. But let me assure you, there is good news. There is a way back home. The story of the prodigal son shows us that we can decide to go back home. We can decide if we're going to continue on in rebellion against God or coming back to him. So I want to just leave that with you tonight. We want to be looking further at this story that Jesus has left with us and understand in greater depth his plan and his provision for us and what we or our, what our response should be, how we can be, find that full relationship with Jesus again. Thank you and God bless you. Let's just pray and then I'm going to turn the meeting back over to Milo. Lord God, thank you tonight for this opportunity of looking into your word. Lord, there's many things that we don't understand very well. And yet you have revealed to us the truths that we really need to know to find renewal, restoration in our relationship with you. Thank you so much, Father, for your provision for our, our needs, for our lost condition. And that you have loved us so much that you provide a way home for us and you are there waiting for us and you are ready to run to us when we come home and receive us as your sons when we repent and come back home. Lord, tonight I pray that if there's anyone who is not at home, who has not made peace with you, that you would speak to that heart, you would bring a real longing and urging desire to leave the pig pen of this world and to come back home, where the Father is waiting with outstretched arms. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.